Welcome back to another episode of the Rankable Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Sussman of iPoll Rank, and this week I'm excited. We're talking, it's not done right well so often. PPC, SEO, are we are we fighting? Are we are we friends? How, what's that relationship supposed to look like? Today I'm talking about to Amalia Flat. I butchered your name, Amalia Fowler, amazing principal strategist at Good AF Consulting. She's been uh, you know, a marketing professor. She's a top 25 PPC or if you ever seen that list, and that's that's pretty damn impressive. She's worked across hundreds of different businesses, three agencies, strategy works driven by her desire to help demystify the complex world of digital. Thank you so much for joining me, Amalia. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So, so much energy and you're on the West Coast and still like early in the morning over there, but right before in, in the green room, if you will, we were talking about the the etymology, the origin of your your business name, Good AF Consulting. So AF stands for audio uh, philo, philo treatment. Yeah, what, that's what exactly it. it. Uh, no, it has two meanings. One is if my mom asks, it's Amalia Fowler. You know, I said my parents, the podcast I'm on, so this one I might have to have to skip. Um, and the second one, uh, <laughs> is, you know, as fuck. So good oh. AF consulting. My students love it. I tell them that's my business name. I don't swear in the classroom, but I tell them that's my business name and they're like, that's so badass. And it's great. It's fun. How, that's how you how you connect with the kids. We were we were talking to uh, my initials are GPS, which you know in the '90s for GPS, you know, using actually MapQuest came up in in a local oh uh, chat recently. Yeah, GP, so no one knows what GPS is anymore. I don't think that's even a technology that comes up. I mean, obviously, it's still. I feel like people who make maps do. Like, there's a very small subset of people who like probably. Or I have a GPS when I go paddling by myself. I have a GPS that I hooked to my bag in case I die so they can find me. Well, map making, but not like cartography. I can imagine that they like hate any sort of digital technology or do you think they appreciate it because it makes their job easier to make beautiful maps? Well, my husband's a geographic information systems analyst and he makes maps and I can tell you that most of it is on the computer. So I feel like he's not a cartographer though. He, like, I think that's actually bad Yeah, it's like like National Geographic, I think, has done some really fascinating documentaries of like the technology that helps all that. But that said, we're not here to talk about maps. I want to talk to you about PPC and SEO. And so can you tell me a little bit about your background in PPC and when you've actually come elbow rubbing shoulders to shoulders with the SEO teams of the clients that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I started in this industry. uh, I was, I'm not going to actually say how old I was eight years ago, because then you can do math. Eight years ago, and it was my first agency. It was an automotive agency. It was also a startup. So those three things, I'm sure you can like picture the culture, automotive, startup and agency life. It was fantastic for a few years. It's fantastic to be young there. Uh, I would loathe it now. Um, but I was the like head of the p- paid team. So I was the head of eventually the head of the paid team. And actually right away, we had an in, uh, in-house, if you're an agency, we had an SEO team um, that was there too. And at that agency, we didn't really have client contact. Um, so it was the two of us uh, working together. And by that, I mean my SEO team lead counterpart. Um, And 
I was just getting into the industry at the time. So I was hearing all this stuff about how PPC and SEO don't get along and how like they can't work together. And like here were Paul and I just like having a great time and actually like <laughs> working together. And I think that's because we we came up in the organization together. Like when I started, it was eight people. And then when I left, it was 85 people, which was a three-year span. So like ton of growth. So we both kind of like started and then became the like leads of these teams. So we had already had a working relationship. So that would have been the first experience. And then when I went to another agency, um, I was the head eventually just the director of marketing. So I had an SEO branch of my team and a PPC branch of my team. Uh, and I, so I was more like directing how everybody worked together. Uh, so they couldn't not work together because I was their boss. Uh, but they also, to their credit, like they wanted to work together. And in that agency, they were also like subject matter experts spoke to clients. So there was a lot more client education and collaboration. Um, at the first agency, I didn't really learn a lot about SEO, but at the second one, because I was managing that team and because there was that client piece where I had to speak confidently about strategy to clients, uh, I learned a lot more about the ins and outs and, and did some of it myself uh, as the boss. I'm a very in the weeds manager. So like someone's sick or can't do it, I will do it. I'll figure it out. Um, and then now my I'm the like PPC consultant for Rickety Roo and they're almost entirely SEO agency. And so that's been really cool because they've been so open to learning about like the PPC side. And I'm seriously outnumbered, but they treat me very well there. Um, so we talk about, uh, you know, PPC and SEO and there, there's that bridge there. So I, I've never really experienced that like negative energy personally in the workplaces I have. Uh, sometimes there's external consultants that I have butted heads with or the industry as a whole can get toxic as I'm sure we're all well aware. Um, but yeah, that's my experience in a it's, really long nutshell. No, it's, it's really interesting all the different ways that you touched on it. And to your point, like it makes sense on one hand where the KPIs and the attribution, the KPIs are somewhat similar in terms of ultimately driving revenue. It's like who's getting credit for, you know, who the conversions. But I'm really interested when you were the director and you were kind of managing and directing the two teams, how in your philosophy should the PPC and the SEO teams like work together? Like what, what should that partnership look like? That's a really good question. Um, so, I mean, I think it needs to be driven by somebody who wants them to work together. So I'm going to give myself credit in that sense of creating the environment in which like there was like nothing but mutual respect is allowed. Um, but I, I think that it's, it's threefold. So it's mindset, it's respect. And then it's, um, there's something else that I can't remember. So I'll get there when I do remember it. But the first, the first thing is respect. Like we have the same goal. We're serving the same client. We ultimately need to understand with this cross channel world, with the attribution models, with all this stuff, like saying SEO and organic did this, and paid did this is a really simplified, too simplified way to look at the overall picture. So if you're not educating clients that like everything plays a role and it's really holistic and it's almost impossible 
to break down into credit for different tactics. Um, that really helps with the teams actually working together. Uh, there also has to be the level of respect. Like there's things that the SEO team can do or that like these incredible technical SEOs can do that like I, my mind is blown by what, what they're able to do. But the PPC side also plays a role. Like you, there are use cases for each one and respecting it and keeping the best interests of the client in mind was my the most important thing for me. So the first is the respect. I thought of the second one, which is mindset, or I said that before, but having the right mindset going in and being like, okay, we're solving a business problem. We have an objective. We have a goal. What's the best tools? Like SEO and PPC and all the ways you can break them down are really just tools in a tool belt. Like if you're going to hang a picture, you're going to use a hammer in one scenario and you're going to use a drill maybe in the other scenario. I don't do construction, so maybe that's wrong, but you get what I'm trying to say. Um, You're not going to always bring the same tool to do a job. And so we're ultimately all trying to do a job. Um, And then the third thing is self-awareness. That's the one I forgot before. Like you have to know where your knowledge stops uh, and where someone else can do a better job. And I think a lot of people get really caught up in this idea of if I say I can't do it, then there's something wrong with me. Or if I say that I can't do it or I'm not the best fit for it, then I am not good at my job. When really, I think it's such a sign of strength to be like, I am not like, I don't set up Google analytics for, I'll read it. I'll explain it to clients. But when I want a proper setup for Google analytics for, I'm like, that's not me. And I refer it to someone else. Like somebody else does it. And to me, it's like, that's just good marketing. That's just good, a good thing to do. Um, But the self-awareness of like, okay, this is not a job for PPC. This is not a job for what I know how to do. Who can do it better? Who can, and ultimately all three of those things, self-awareness, mindset, um, and then respect boils down to like serving the client, which I think we forget a lot of the time in our industry. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know that there's a ton of value there. And it also kind of speaks to the different types of makes up makeups of organizations, whether they have one, you know, a very small team of generalists who are trying to do everything versus the specialists who excel at these different roles. I'm curious, you know, in terms of their different strategies, obviously PPC and SEO, you know, like what you're bidding on versus how you're building out an organic strategy. There are a lot of insights. I feel like each team can surface for the other one. What are some of those insights that like a PPC team can actually provide to the SEO team and vice versa? Yeah, so I I'll I'll start this by saying I typically work with smaller budget clients. So on the PPC right. side and I also typically don't work with e-commerce clients. So when I'm saying what I feel is the best practice, that's my realm of knowledge. I'm a very very much an it depends person. Um so if someone out yes. there does like a $50,000 a month e-com campaign and disagrees with me, well go ahead because I've never done that. Um <laughs> But in our case, we served a lot of lead gen, a lot of smaller clients. And one thing I found PPC really useful for, especially before they decimated our search query report, um, was blog post ideas. 
Um, there is only so much keyword research you can do to get an idea of what people want from like a post in terms of where they are in the research phase. And I found that SEO, like content wise, is really good at filling the middle of the funnel, um, like filling that place where people are asking questions and want to find the best of something or know how to do something. And so on the PPC side, when we would see all of these queries come in, um, that were questions like, how do I hang a picture on the wall? Should I choose this brand versus this brand? Passing those those terms over to the SEO team and being like, hey, there's been a, a, a spike in impressions in like this area. It might be the perfect time to publish a blog post on that topic. Um, so that was a big one. Another one is seasonality because we tend to see the differences in seasonality faster on the PPC side because it's all, you know, intent-based, auction-based really quick, um, as opposed to SEO, which can take a lot longer to like gain traction in a variety of areas, uh, quicker, not really quick. But if I see like, like a really good example is um, if it snows then all of my HVAC, if it snows somewhere, then all of my HVAC clients who sell heaters will see like a spike in traffic for the heating portion of it. So just passing that information on and being like, oh, it's shoulder season right now for HVAC. So it's air conditioning and heating, but we'll see when that shift happens on the PPC side faster than someone on the SEO side might pick it up. And we often don't live where our clients are. So it's like, unless your client's on, but even then with all the remote work, it's like, it's one, it's one doing one thing here. It's probably doing something different where my clients are. So having that insight of, oh, the seasons have shifted. We should start with the content about X, Y, Z, you know, um, that's a really good, good one as well. And then I honestly just think PPC can provide a lot of insights into competition as well. So we have all the auction mm. insights. Um, and if you're searching, like I tell my students, we do this exercise where we search on our mobile, they search on their mobile devices. And I'm like, how many scrolls did it take you to get to the top organic result for your search? Because there's like 18 ads and then the map, that's an exaggeration. There's like four ads, but then the map pack. And then one of those ads is sure. an ad. Give, we'll, give it a week and there'll be 18 Right? Ads. <laughs> it's like four, five, six scrolls before they even get to an organic result. So I think there's a lot of data that can be pulled from that, from a competitor perspective as well. Um, yeah. It's interesting, like so much about the seasonality and the speed at things, especially like in terms of localities and changing conditions, especially I can imagine like if you're starting out with market research as an SEO, the first place you'd want to go to is like the PPC team to see what's working in different localities and have that kind of influence your bigger picture strategy um, across the board. I'm curious, based on like seasonality or just even if it's not, you know, seasonal type of business, what type of cadence, what type of check-in processes do you recommend for like a PPC and an SEO team? Like, is it once a year annual cadence or should they be checking more frequently with each other to see, you know, to figure out what's going on in the market that might be changing? So it's, it's, it's so highly dependent on like, is, are they... <laughs> I'm sorry. I say it depends. You're allowed to say it depends. It is All the an time. SEO podcast. <laughs> I I mean, but it does. It really does. Because if you're in agency versus client side, the answer is different. If you're a small business or a, or a larger business, the answer is different. If so, I will I will share that 
every team. So agency one, when we had two separate teams, like Paul and I would meet, I'd say minimum once a month specifically to talk about this stuff. But even then it was day to day, like, Hey, this insight popped up for this client, just like slack it over or email it. Um, and then when I was directing the whole team, it was like, we had weekly marketing team meetings. Like we're all part of the marketing team. Like this is not, and then we had individual like paid and organic meetings, but it's like, this is not a separate, we're not separate. And this is something I've realized, especially as how automation is working in the PPC world has shifted is we used to say that like SEO and PPC don't affect each other. And we know they don't directly, like if you run ads, it doesn't improve your organic rankings. Like we know that, right? but the Venn diagram of overlap is coming closer and closer together where they're now really meeting at this intersection of user experience, like Google ads, AI or machine learning is pulling in title tags and headings from the site to populate ads. So we have this overlap and I don't think it's going to go backwards. I don't think we're going to go back to having more of a separation between the two. Um, so because there's this intersection of user experience, like we both sides send traffic to a website, that website and the data from that website affects both of us. It affects what happens to us regardless of what side we're on. And so because of that overlap, like I would argue, especially client side, like why, why is it not just a marketing team meeting? Why is it not just a conversation at whatever cadence you have with everybody? Um, because we can develop insights from each other. Now, agency side, often we don't get enough information from our clients even to do our job in the first place. So it's a little bit harder, but if you can put like a PPC and SEO person who work together on multiple clients, then they can have strategy meetings that affect, you know, cause if you have 30 clients and everyone's in a different combination, it's a lot harder to connect. Um, so I like to create little like pods. So this is like the pod that works with oh, these okay. five clients. And this is the pods that also has a benefit of if someone quits, they still have a point of contact that they can feel comfortable with. So you're not constantly rotating people through because clients kind of don't like when their person changes on a regular basis. Absolutely. So, you know, it's funny. We have a similar makeup at iPoll rank with like the pod structure for that reason. It's like, you know, you can continue, continue to have like no loose ends. Everyone's documenting so well. So everyone knows what's going on across the entire account. I'm curious though, like what your personal philosophy is when it comes to like keyword targeting. Cause you were talking about this overlap, right? Like yeah. this Venn diagram. And they're going to be like, it would almost, it's tough because it's like on the one hand, it it would be dumb not for SEO and PPC to target the same keywords. At the same time, there is this element of cannibalization that exists. How, like, how do you think about that? Like as the director looking at both teams? So there are going to be people that like vocally disagree with me and that's fine. Um, there, I know there's like the incremental lift school of thought. And then there's like, I think of Rand Fishkin and the like pizza parable on the other side, that, that school of thought. And I don't think, I don't think either is a hundred percent right or a hundred percent wrong, but so I would rather have more coverage on the SERP from an insurance standpoint, especially in mobile, than less. Um, however, structure in your PPC account can really dictate how that works and how keywords 
are actually like triggered. So for example, brand, branded campaigns in PPC, a huge, huge controversial debating. Like I make my students debate it for a presentation that they do like huge controversial. Yes or no, we're going to have branded um, keywords. Um, I'm a fan of it, but I'm only a fan of it if they're isolated in their own campaign with a small budget mm-hmm. that's focused on impression share and generally just targeting mobile devices. And so there are con- like controllable elements on the PPC side right. where most of the time I'm trying to think from an insurance standpoint from like the competitors bidding on our name, but I will also do research. So if I look it up and there is no other, there is nobody bidding on this name. There is no, I mean, which takes a little bit while some VPNs, you got to check more than once. There's a lot of factors, but if on average, I'm not seeing high competition for a brand name, then I'll leave it alone because it's about balancing wasting money and over-reporting success on the PPC side. Yeah. So there are use cases for it. There are use cases for the overlap, generally highly competitive, generally like with the way match types are working, you can have a very well set up PPC account. But if your competitor doesn't know what they're doing, they accidentally are bidding on things that don't make sense. So from a defense and insurance and and an incremental lift perspective, I do see value in certain use cases. And a lot of that does come back down to like looking at the data and looking at like doing your research. Um, it's a balancing act, but I am, I am a fan of the overlap. I I think, I think that's fair. I think it's all about intentionality and doing your research because you need to maximize the budget, right? Like there's always going to be wasted spend in some capacity. And as a PPC, especially working with SEO, knowing where you're getting the most bang for your buck, because there is only a certain amount of resources Mm -hmm. or a certain amount of budget that you can have is where you should focus. It's also where, it's where communication comes in. Like if I don't know what your target keywords are from an SEO perspective, and if I can't see where you are, like it takes time, right? Often PPC is is a really good stopgap. So there's a, a keyword on the third or fourth page that the SEO team is really trying to target and develop and optimize for. I'll run an ad. And then when you get to that first page, if we want to stop that campaign or that targeting, then let's stop it and see what happens. Like, PPC is fast. It's, you know, on off. It's, it's a little bit more complicated now that they're changing how it works, but generally it's really good up front. And then SEO is really good long-term. And I know that if you can write good content and it brings in leads, that it's better because it costs less. Like, I'm not going to be upset that you tell me that. No, and and, I mean, even so, there's still the element, right? Like it matters, like the placement, the ads are always going to be higher placed, you know, even if you're on page one. Well, that's a good point. Um, But if you're not like top three, you know, you're, you still are going to have a much lower click through rate than, you know, you know, be like an ad that is, you know, the top placement. Um, I'm curious not to stay in the world of controversy, but I love what it. would you say? Okay. What would you say are some misconceptions that SEOs have about the PPC teams? Uh, I don't know that it's just SEOs that have these misconceptions. Okay. So uh, I have a lot of really good friends who do a lot of SEO work and, and 
I will say most of them probably don't have these misconceptions, but I know they exist out there. And like, um, I think it's just misconceptions in general of each other. Let's say that. So it's like that we're just out to get that, like the leads or that we're going to just, you know, a big one is that we're, we're going to structure our account so that it, we're like stealing leads from the other side in terms of like having branded keywords, like in, in different places, instead of like isolated in their own campaign. Um, I think another misconception is that we don't really understand how Google and the SERP works the same way the SEO side does, which might be fair. Like it's very much about the individual more than like SEOs or PPC people in general. Um, but then like educate them. On the other side, like there's PPC is a lot more complicated than I think a lot of people understand in terms of all the moving parts. Like my primary business is auditing people's accounts and telling them how to make it better. I am very good at it, not to stroke my own ego. Um, but I wouldn't have that gig if everyone understood how PPC worked. And I'm sure that there's a similar spectrum on the other side where they they look at it and probably oversimplify it. Just like we look at what SEOs do and probably oversimplify it. Like when I'm teaching SEO in my intro to digital class, I have two hours to teach it. And I tell them Impossible. that every single thing we talk about is someone's full-time job. So I am teaching you 10 things that are 10 different jobs in two hours. You can't go out there into the world and then make people pay you to do this. That's not ethical. Yeah. So I think the main misconception on both sides is that it's simpler than it is, really. I'm curious with your classes, a little off topic, but like from your students, do they, what, what in 2022, what are some of the things that really, that they get really excited about from your digital course? Do you see trends in terms of what there's more interest in? Um, I'd assume it's social media, but that's me completely like just making assumptions. That's a good question. So again, it depends on the person. Yeah. Um, you just like publish this podcast and it's like the answer trends, to every question trends. is just me saying it depends. It depends. It depends. That's it. That's the whole. Or, or directionality. Directionality. Um, I think a lot of them coming in, come in really excited to learn about social media. Um, I think like, cause I do in my first class, it's like, why are you here? What do you want to learn? And a lot of them are like social media. Um, but I think it's because they don't understand the entire landscape. When I teach about cookies and behavioral targeting and that, like, that's usually the first like mind blown moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I taught about Google ads the other day or like the last two weeks in my, in my second year classes. And they're like, that's how it works like that. Like the fact that there's an auction every time a Google search <clears throat> happens also like blows their mind. Um, so they come in really interested generally in the things that they're exposed to on a regular basis. And then they typically leave with a much wider understanding of how the internet as a whole works, like how the ecosystem, the digital marketing oops, ecosystem uh, works. I talk with my hands. Um, but I wouldn't say that, and I wouldn't say that they leave like not wanting to do social media. I will say that right. social media marketing uh, is the hardest job, I think, of all of the internet jobs. You are a customer service rep. You are a creator. You're expected to know how to do video and photos, and you have to be on top of comments, and it's 24-7. Like, 
I never real time. Wanna, yeah, I never want to do it. Good, good on you for doing it. I never <laughs> want to do it. Um, so I, I have a lot of respect for social. Oh, and everyone calls you an intern, yeah. which is the worst part of it. So it's yeah. like, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for that. So not to say that they shouldn't want to do that, but they come in with one perspective perspective and they often leave with another. Um, and usually they find something they really like and something they really hate. And so I'll have a yeah. student that's like, I'm really interested in content, but I've decided I hate data. And I'm like, more information for you to leave. Or I have the opposite. I'm really interested in data, but I never want to do social. And that's the whole goal is really like finding whatever sparks their interest from a course like that. Yeah, especially at college. But that's why these conversations are so fun, but also conversations with people who have no idea what we do because we we get immersed in our world. And I, I can imagine a, as a professor, that's like fun to see, you know, people who haven't really thought about things the way we know how everything works. Like people don't think about search and like why Google shows the information it does or what are ads and not ads. I'm like, you, uh, I could talk to you about the, this stuff forever. One more we'll question before two. we dive into the... We might, we might have to. I am curious. I do want to touch really quickly, and this is not fair to do quickly, but your philosophy on attribution and the mm. buyer's journey when it mm. comes to PPC and SEO, just like, what is your philosophy? Like, cause you mentioned the whole idea of like, you know, we're all in it, you know, rising tide lifts all boats, but how do you explain that to the C-suite? <laughs> how do you explain anything to the C-suite? Carefully and with pictures. <laughs> Um, that's really unfair to them, but also true. Uh, <laughs> so I, let's start with paid search. So paid search can capture demand. It can't create it. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's where it is, uh, from the PPC side. That's, that's search ads, like Google ads specifically. Um, Facebook, if we're bucketing that under PPC, which pay-per-click a lot of people do, or social media ads, they have more of a role at the top in the middle of the funnel, um, but their, their audiences are stagnant and it's not intent-based. So it's a different angle to come at things. Um, so if we're looking at search ads, bottom of the funnel, uh, social media ads span more of the funnel, but they're not intent-based. So they're not based on a query. SEO does a much better job mid-funnel and lower funnel. Um, but I feel like content can really pick up, well-written content can really pick up the middle of the funnel. and Local SEO can't live without it. If you're a service-based business, you just can't not have it. Um, unless you're the guy that did the screens for my house and just go door to door without any web presence. I, my mind was blown. <laughs> I was like, you don't have a website. Anyways, it's a sidebar. In terms of attribution, I you just have to know what model is being used. Really, you have to know. You have to like, in terms of like analytics is, is last click and then Google ads, data-driven attribution, whatever that means. Um, I mean, I know what they're telling us it means, but what does an actual link mean? Um, so you have to just understand which attribution models are being used for which data sources you're looking at so that you can properly make your assumptions and your arguments. I like to align them all. Um, ideally, I use position-based in some Google ads account. I use last click still in others, which it's not the best. I know it's not the best, but at least it's the same as everything else I'm looking at. Um, so when you're explaining it, when I explain it to students, I generally like pull up a diagram of a user journey. And we talk about the last thing they bought online. Like we talk about how that form that says, how did you hear about us? is like the worst 
way to allocate your marketing budget. And we talk about how if you accidentally turn off something that's at the top of the funnel, not that I love the funnel as a model because it's linear and doesn't reflect our actual journeys. But again, if you know that power to to analyze it, um, but if you accidentally turn something off, you affect the volume at the bottom of the funnel. I have two identical clients, basically identical in like very close geo, identical in what they do, identical in their services offered. And one gets a ton of brand traffic and therefore does better overall. And the other one doesn't because they they just expect paid search to be like their be all end all. Like you can't put all your, your eggs in one basket. Um, so how do I explain it to the C-suite? Kind of like that. Generally, when I bring on a client, like I'm bringing on um, one right now and I'm like, is this, if this is the only marketing channel you're doing, you're not going to like, it's not going to work. And I tell them that. And if they're like, yes, it will. I'm like, cool. You can find someone else to argue with because I'm not going to be, I'm in a position where I don't have to take you on to argue with you for three months. Um, But that's, that's kind of it. It's like, I will ask them the last thing they bought online. And I will ask them if they remember every single touch point they had with that product before they bought it. Like, did you see a TV ad? Did you hear a radio ad? We poo-poo traditional over here in digital land, but it also has a place. Like it has a place and a time. It's part of that tool belt. Like you may not use your leaf blower every day of the year, but you use it sometimes for a specific purpose. It's similar. That's, it's the irony with all this is like, we, we've moved to this world of like performance marketing and underestimate the complexity of the funnel. Like we're aware of it, but we also don't want to be like, well, you can't actually measure the value of things. Like, obviously you can, it's just really complex. Amalia, I mean, that's a whole other, that's, that'll be part three of our interview. Are you ready for some rapid fire rankings? I'm as ready. Yes. I'm as ready as I'm going to be. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Let's cue the music and we got the timer going. Let's do this. Okay. Rank your top three of something, anything that you love. One, coffee. Two, disc golf. Three, stand-up paddleboarding. I love it. Beautiful, short, sweet. Rank your best SEO or marketing win. There's only one and it's helping really ethical small businesses um, do like quit their day job, hire their first employee, pay their rent. Like I had one client that quit his like big corporate job because he didn't feel like they were behaving ethically and start his own business and getting to be a part of that business growing was the best marketing win I've ever had. I love that story. Okay, rank your top three SEO tools. Screaming Frog, Moz Pro, Google Search Console. Beautiful. Rank your best SEO trick or tactic. Leveraging Google Ads searches in the creation of new content. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'll, 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 I'll full circle. Rank what you love most about SEO. The nuance. Um, and being a detective. There are so many right approaches. And I think as an industry, we get really caught up in beating each other up about like, oh, they did this first instead of this other thing. Um, But there's so many multiple ways to do things. And it's like being a detective, but without blood and dead bodies. That's beautiful. I thought you were gonna say it depends. Okay, rank your best learning SEO resource. Uh, The SEO FOMO newsletter, Alita Solis's newsletter. So good every week. Rank the top one to three SEO or marketers that you most look up to. Uh, Alita, and then Lily Ray, and then Arij, 
just the the SEO tech community or women in SEO tech community in and of itself, I think is such a needed and wonderful place in our industry. And they're, they're, all three of those women are brilliant. Okay, and finally, rank your number one cause or charity that you want to promote. So I have been the marketing advisor, marketing committee advisor for the West Coast Kids Cancer Foundation for the past year. Um, and they support children, families of children with cancer or family of children with rare blood disorders with like really practical grassroots actions. So like delivering frozen pizzas or sibling support groups, they treat the whole family um, like porch shirts and pajamas and just things that you know, kids with cancer and their families really need at a grassroots level. Um, and so that is my number one cause that I'm like personally involved in from a marketing side, but also like really believe in their mission and vision. So check them out, please. I love that. And we will have a link to that in the description notes as well. And you, um, you know, before we sign off, you actually have a newsletter that's kind of tangential, but but related. Can you tell me about your newsletter? It's very tangential. Um, also related from a management perspective from managing marketing teams. So I write The Wholehearted Manager, which is a newsletter for people who believe their employees and themselves are human and want to lead from the heart. None of this leave your emotions at the door bullshit that uh, has been such a line in tech and in marketing. So if you are a manager in tech or marketing or the startup world, and you want really just a community of like-minded managers and figure out how to manage, well, you know, also having feelings because you're not a robot, I'd love for you to check it out. So that's so awesome. Yeah. So check out the newsletter and, and obviously someone wants to find you online. Where, where do you hang out on the digitals? Where Where's the go-to place to find Amalia? Uh, Twitter at Amalia E. Fowler. I tweet a lot. I would say 50% of it is marketing and 50% of it is thoughts that pop into my head um, or places I'm visiting in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. And then LinkedIn. So same uh, Amalia Fowler on LinkedIn. Uh, it's a newer platform for me, but I've been posting a lot more often there this year. That's it. I only have two, not five. There you go. Find, find her for marketing and desktop. Uh, thank you so much for being my guest. This has been an awesome conversation. This has been fantastic. I loved being here. I love doing this. And if you want to do part two, you know where to find me. Part two, part three, part four. We're gonna we're gonna do it at some point. My name is Garrett Sussman of iPoll Rank. This has been the Rankable Podcast. We will catch you next week. Signing off. Peace out. 